First and foremost, and this needs to be across the board, if you train with decent intensity on court, you're training plyometrics. Kids don't train hard enough. Like get out there and stay on your toes. I mean, every coach says it, and I know it's like it's bane, the bane of you know existence with young athletes. Train with good intensity. That's the first and foremost things. Be energetic. Be active. Move a lot on the tennis court. Don't just stand there and hit. So if you train with good intensity, you're going to improve for one. Okay, that's just something I want to address early on. You're speaking because, that language. Uh, yeah, like that. Bro. You're, you're going to get way better just doing that because if you think about it, you train tennis far more than you train anything else. So if you train with that sort of mentality and that sort of physicality, you're going to get more explosive. It's just going to happen. But if we look at the other stuff to try and bulk it up, because you can only move as well as your body. <laughs> Alex Hines, welcome. Oh, thank you. So for those who don't know who you are, you are a movement specialist in the tennis space and you have your business called T-Movement. Now, T-Movement is a combination of sports science, human anatomy, physiology and physical training and tennis coaching with years of thought put into your project with the aim to reduce changes in injury, improve the way the body functions and ultimately improve physical performance on court. That's defined very well. I like that. And uh, you have a lot of experience and you've worked with a bunch of guns. So you've worked with John Millman, James Duckworth, Nick Kyrgios, Kimberly Birrell, and Sam Groth. So on your website, I was reading that you uh, basically just started from spending hours watching on YouTube or watching videos with your mate Dave. So talk me through and run us through that initial phase of how Team Movement got started and that kind of building blocks of getting the kindling of the fire going yeah well it um it started when i was i was probably about 22 and i i was just desperate to get into the the tennis world it's like my mission to work for tennis australia and so i was donating free time at actas to learn more about the fitness side of things and dave briggs was my mentor and he was a guy who just frothed on tennis and he um he loved the fact that i was a tennis coach and i was a tennis player and I was studying sports science and he's like, I love footwork. And I was like, man, I love footwork. And he's like, I have these sort of ideas. And we started looking at it and we're like, we should create some structure around this. And I was like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, this sounds great. And so um, we started hanging out. I actually go over to his house and we'd have a couple of beers and we'd watch, um, yeah, match footage. We'd have a look at it and we'd like, we'd start talking about how the body would work. And like, we would just look at, for instance, like even at the start, like the split step we would just look at all the different types of split steps there could be and then we'd start talking about, okay, how do the hips stabilise there? Okay, how do they take best advantage of their, you know, connective tissue to be more explosive? Where should their hips be? Where should their foot be? Like where should their knees be? How should their posture be? And we started looking like heavily in depth to how the body functions, talking about the tactics of tennis, the situations in tennis, and then trying to build, you know, how you can create the most efficient injury-free powerful movement patterns that you can and then we started looking at a full cycle and structure um, and back in those days um, we were actually going to call it Velocis that was going to be the name of it and well we always chatted after that for years I we we went our different ways but we we're always mates and always chatted about it um, but it got to the point he's got four kids he was an older guy and he said look and, and my perspective on it changed as well because I, I went and worked 
for Tennis Australia for eight years and I just got to hang out with the coolest tennis coaches, the most amazing, you know, fitness coaches and physios and I learned more and more and more um, and I started changing the way I looked at it as well. So I, I sort of had a different perspective on it as well. But that where it was built was with Dave um, and he got to a point where he said, look, he said, Heinze, you've got more time. You've got like go for it, go for it. And I said, well, I can't. It's not going to be Velocis because it's a different it's a different beast now. So I started thinking about names and, um, you know, tennis movement or team movement mm-hmm. was there. So I was like, team movement sounds pretty sweet. I, uh, mm-hmm. I might run with that. And I've just been creating ever since. It's been about – it started during COVID. I was like, i got to do this. And Dave was like, you got to do it, man. Go. So that's, when, that's it. when it actually started, team movement actually started through that COVID time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. But there would have been so much building. Like yeah. I love I love what you're what what you're saying with just like that building block, that time when you just got obsessed. You were yeah. just researching, looking in YouTube. I think we've all kind of, if we're passionate people, we've all been through that stage where we just get absolutely obsessed and just researching like crazy. And I think everyone in their own way needs to have a period where you just go deep dive into something yeah. just to figure things out and then come out of the other side just knowing a little bit more and maybe having a bit more direction and clarity. So that aligned with the eight years you did with TA, just learning and seeing and having yeah. all that experience, experience would have been a, like a really nice marriage to yeah. then actually birth team movement. Well, yeah, the funny thing is I never used it. At, I, I didn't use it a lot at Tennis Australia because I, I wanted to protect it mm. because when you work for Tennis Australia, any content you create is their um, IP. And I was like, well, no, this is mine, you know, and mine and Dave's or or then – you know, after and the other thing too, it started because I'd finished with Tennis Australia and I started working at KDV Sport, mm. um, and so I was delving back into the tennis coaching more so because at Tennis Australia I I was used as a tennis coach and strength conditioning coach, but for the last four or five years, um, my role was more on the physical side. But when I got back to KDV, I was back into the tennis world. I was just loving it. I was loving coaching. Like I love I I, I prefer tennis coaching over S and C. Yeah, I love them both, but. I love coaching tennis. And so this passion with movement came back because it is so heavily linked with tactics and technique and like I personally believe footwork and movement should be taught by tennis coaches because mm. the heavy tactical element associated with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we dive into that? So how, once you're at KDV and you're starting to really embed your own ideas, how are you starting to do coach this sort of philosophy with movement and footwork patterns in your tennis coaching? Yeah, so this is how I sort of do it. I'm all about bridging the gap between the physical and the tennis. And so, and I work from a lot of concepts like simple to complex, slow to fast, um, more general to specific. So these sorts of concepts of, of coaching. And so I'll strip it back and I'll bring it back to, you know, foot position, hip position, and I'll do it all on court, but I might use medicine balls. I might use bungees. I might use any sort of other resistance. Or I'll just simply coach them where to put their hips, where to put their feet, you know, or how to decelerate here, how to get into this position. And then I'll slowly link it back to the tennis. So I put a racket in their hand and I start doing hand fed. Okay, good. You know, and we work on the technique there. And once they get that technique, okay, racket fed. Okay, awesome. Okay, now we're going to go cross, you know, whatever the situation is. And then we go live ball, you know, and then we'll play points. And then I'm like, well, now I want to see it in your matches. And so it's that connecting the dots up from stripping it back to the physical. And it is technique. Footwork is is technical. Yeah, it's really disappointing when you get uh, 
when there is that separation and you see it so many with coaches where they're like, ah, oh, this is technique. It's all racket work with like the hands up and this sort of swing path. Yeah. It's all connected. It's yeah. all technique. You're yeah. spot on. Yeah. Now it's, so that's the thing. You could have a beautiful swing, you know, and a lot of Australian tennis players have lovely swings. Um, but when we go and play against the Europeans or, you know, the Spanish, they move unbelievably well. Um, and there's no point having great swings if you can't get to the ball. You know, like there's, there's no real point. Um, and there's also, it's funny, like I get so I get so in-depth with it to the point where I can talk about different grips and hip positions when you're setting up to strike a ball. Mm. You know, so if you've got like a, a, you're going through Western or a little heavier than that, your hips are actually a little more front on so you can get your contact. You know, so there's like, I go that far in depth to what, what position you're in or what grip you're using or how your swing shape looks or the size of your body, the, your lever lengths, all these things contribute. When you say hip open, what do you mean by that in terms of the Western grip? Well, you, it's more your hips. Uh, I always like hips to the fence, right? Yep. Feet and hips to the fence when yes. you go into the stroke sure. and you set up. But when you drive, you have to drive a little earlier with your, the hip that's closest to the net and drive the back hip through a little sooner with a Western grip to get your contact. But with your, you know, your semi-Westerns or your Easterns, you can stay a little more closed on contact. Um, and that's just purely because you'll lose your contact if, if you do it any other way. Um, and I, I see it a lot, you know, um, people losing their contact because of the way they rotate the hips. And often they rotate the hips towards the center of the court and not driving it where they want the ball to go. Mm. You know, you're losing energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The energy needs to be converted through that kinetic change through and through the strike. And that's the other reason why I'm like, I think you've got to understand, if you're going to teach through the shot, what I call through the shot movement, mm. if you don't understand technique, swing shapes, grips, like it's going to be very, very hard to teach, you know, how to load your hips, how to rotate your hips. And in different situations, in defense, in offense, in open, closed, semi, all these different areas. Um, you've got to understand the sport, you know, and where they're striking it and then where have you got to recover to next, you know, because tactically you don't want to put yourself out of position by going too far or going too – there's – yeah, it's just – honestly, it, when you say going down a rabbit hole, I've been through – I've just gone through rabbit warrens, you know, like <laughs> I've just – I've gone in and out, in and out of all these different areas um, in depth. Is there times where you just basically need to pull back and say, I need to stop researching and I just need to do? Can you can you talk about maybe some of the phases where you did like a massive research and then basically stopped, just started implementing it more and just doing, 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 and then maybe pulling back and researching again? Well, you learn. You learn more from doing. And I'm a big learner from doing. And and when it says re when you say sort of research, I actually am a firm believer that like there's some really good movers who I do go and watch. Yep. But there's some elite performers who do things that are poor. And I think footwork coaches in the past have gone, yeah, I've watched thousands of hours of footage of tennis players. I'm like, yeah, but I can tell you something that Fedzi doesn't do that well. And he's supposed to be the greatest mover of all time. And he is. He's unbelievable. But there is you know, there's one thing I don't particularly like about what Fedzi does. What is uh, that? Uh, he's run around forehand. Sometimes he gets a little too face on. If yeah, we look and at then his he hits hit. almost like inside out, like yeah, side spinning rather than yeah. that, that big. But he can get away. Step. He can get away with it because he's got an eastern grip, right? So he can hit through the ball more. But if you do that with someone who's got semi western or, or a western, mm -hmm. they're going to struggle to hit through that ball and get a true off forehand. Yeah, and he's got scary hands and he's got gut strings that are set at forty two. Like there's a whole thing, and he's so skillful. Yeah. But I, 
and he does do it, don't get me wrong. When he does get around and he does turn his hips more, he can monster it, not just rely on his hands. Um, but that's that's so rare and that's a super rare talent that's exactly. able to execute. Exactly. So I think that there is a danger in like, let's copy Feds doing that. Yes. But he's only the one, he's the only one that can do that rather than maybe just teaching uh, the absolute best base and the best fundamentals and the best yeah. skills yeah. that are going to be able to execute that. And then if you've got scary hands as well as that, then you can actually do something crazy. Yeah. I mean, then you, yeah. And you're starting to look at guys like Djokovic and who move impeccably well and mm. do, oh, do so many things. I mean, I, yeah. But there's also some people you look at who like your, your ability to move and, and perform on the court from a physical perspective is limited by your physical capabilities. Mm. And everyone has different training, different, they're in the different journey of their training, but also genetics. Mm. You know, Fedzi is extremely elastic, extremely explosive. That's why he stands a little taller than a lot of other guys and, and he relies on that elastic energy. Um, whilst you look at an Andy Murray who was a great mover as well, but it really is strength-based. You know, he didn't have that elastic power, sort of that plyometric nature. He, he was more of a strength-based mover, but still a hell of a good mover. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it um, taps into understanding the athlete and their capabilities and how to then coach from that base. Mm. Hey everyone, uh, this is today's sponsor. So we've got the X-Band, the Gravity Belt 2.0. We've been using this for our resistance training. It clips onto the ankles and to the hips. You can use it as a bungee cord as well. It's amazing for the legs to feel that wide base that you're getting on, on the court. And then using it and then going without it, game changer. You start to really feel how your legs are working. You get that feedback. Uh, so probably one of the best products that we've seen that are tailoring to a tennis space, but then any kind of athlete space would highly recommend this for your leg resistance training. If you want to get stronger, more explosive and faster, this X-Band Gravity Belt will be a game changer for you. And you can get that on xbandstore.com. So how do you actually analyze and evaluate movement? So in specifically, what are you looking for? And when you see it, you go, yep, that person over there, they're a great mover. Right, so I, I created a structure of understanding and it's cyclic. So the tennis footwork is, is a cycle of movement. You know, you like I'd love to go right in depth with it, but this is the stuff I'm, I'm actually going to create a full educational go course on it. But, you know, for instance, you split turn, accelerate in and behind the ball, strike the ball, decelerate, recover, go again, you know, and I, I put that down into 10 steps. So I can actually, I can get you to send me footage of, of your match. You send it through to me, and this is a product I actually have on my website. You send it through to me, and I have an analysis sheet where I go, okay, so let's let's say um, one of the main things that I see that's really poor is um, deceleration post-shot. So after you strike the ball, getting wide, loading your outside leg to absorb the energy and then transferring it through your recovery, mm -hmm. which is another step, right? Yeah. So in that, I have the physical elements, you know, so decelerating, on outside leg with good posture um, and I give you okay throughout the match uh, three always so you always do you always load the outside leg with width good okay but your posture is no good so it's only sometimes so you get a two or if you don't get wide at all you get a one never right and so I have sections I have 10 sections where I break down every single physical element to associate with that movement. And there is tactical sides as well. I link it to tactics, how often you do it tactically. Mm -hmm. And it spits out a number. And so I do like a screening of your footwork and your movement on court. And from there, it has red flags that isolate the key areas that you're not doing well. 
And from there, I've created in my product, and which I could do with any athlete, no matter their level, um, I, I have drills. So I have an explanation, one, what you're doing wrong, how you can do it better. And then I give you drills to actually improve those key areas. And I've been really, really lucky in the fact that I've seen the full pathway of elite athletes in every age group. So I've been to the Longines tournament, which is the best under 12s in the world in Paris. It's underneath the Eiffel Tower. Mm. I've been to World Junior Teams, which is the under 14s, best under 14s in the world in Prostyov in Czech. Mm. I've been to Junior Davis Cups. I've been to Davis Cups. I've been to Junior Grand Slams, Senior Grand Slams. And I work with, and I've seen the whole pathway. So I actually know what the best mover who's, you know, 13 years old in the world, I have that, be- I have that benchmark. And I benchmark you against whatever, if you know, if you're a pro athlete, I'm benching you against Novak. You know, if you're a under 14s young uh, female athlete, well, I've been, I've been to those events. I know what the best girls are moving like. And some of the girls who are, you know, top 20 in the world right now, I saw them when they were juniors, you know, because I was just really lucky that, you know, Tennis Australia also sent me on the road because they could use me as a tennis coach and an SNC. So I trialed. I didn't see a winter for like four years. They just sent me out of it. I did like, yeah. I do six months, six months every year. I just travel mm-hmm. 30 weeks a year. But I got to see all this. So, so I can analyze your footwork and your movement from my experience seeing the best athletes in every age group right through to the elite. You know, my athletes have played Federer. You know, Melman beat Federer. Um, so I've, I've, I've seen every, every whole pathway. I know what the best movers look like. And it all comes back to those physical elements and the technical elements of your footwork. And I can find that. I can find it and I can tell you how to fix it. Yeah, that's unreal. I think you would have just had so much data to see across all different levels to then create this sort of system to help athletes and know exactly what every athlete needs and pinpoint it clearly. Mm. That's um, that's unreal and that, that whole journey would have been very eye-opening and it's led you to where you are today. So can you break down a couple things that you would see with someone that is elite just in their age group or at a pro level, what are they doing so good that makes them a great mover? Well, as you've got to cover so many areas to become a good tennis player. And I think one is building your body. Mm. You, you on, you're only going to move as well as your body will let you. So doing your injury prevention, doing um, specific strength training, speed agility training, um, which I'm presenting for at Tennis Australia at the moment. I'm presenting around the country on speed agility and how that links with footwork and movement. But there's, there's qualities that speed and agility train that actually switch over to your, your movement, whether you're training your connective tissue, your muscle to be re- more reactive, or you're training how to drive off the outside leg and to be stable through your hips. All these different things will link over. And then they're actually like isolating footwork and movement on court. Right, so I've seen, I've been in Europe, and and there's a coach. He's not even talking about the swing. He's talking about you know. Let's say he's doing he's a, working with a young seventeen year old seven year year old at a at a future. I'm seeing him and getting him to run around his forehand better, take less steps, turn his hips, you know, cross in behind with a bigger step to save more time, and then just monstering forehands into their into the opponent's sort of backhand. That tactic is just such a European mm-hmm. successful tactic. Um, but they're working on footwork. They're not necessarily focusing, you know, all on the technical side. You know, footwork's, it, footwork is just as important as technique when it comes to a swing shape. What's the source? It's the foundation of how everything 
goes into the strike. Is that the is that the biggest problem that we have here in Australia? Is that is that why you you think maybe we're a little bit behind Europe in in many ways? Yeah, we look really lovely over there. We look pretty. You know, everyone says it. We have great technique. We look good. Um, but our ultra competitiveness, um, and yeah, to a certain extent, the footwork and movement for sure. You know, a lot of them. You know, I remember I was chatting to Josh Eagle about this project I was doing. He goes, I love it. And he goes, because you don't play tennis with your upper body. And, you know, he, he's a guy who spent a lot of time on the tour and a lot of time in Europe. Um, and a lot of Europeans, they do so much lower body work and they all train on clay. So they develop that lower body strength naturally, right? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we're very lucky that we live in such a wonderful country and life's not too hard as well. Mm-hmm. And perhaps our kids are a little bit softer. Yes, um, yes, we've been speaking about this with yeah. many other guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not as resilient, but yeah, I mean, footwork's. I, per, I, I, you know, I'm a little biased, but I think footwork is massive. And every time I've worked with athletes and worked on their footwork, they've always progressed really well. You know, for like for instance, the, the last two main ones that I've worked with footwork was Emerson Jones, who's now you know one. Of, she's the youngest top twenty five in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with her on footwork, speed, agility, and in the you know doing athletic patterning and stuff like in the not necessarily in the gym, but learning my, about her body since she was nine through to twelve. I coached her at one stage when her coach was sick. I was coaching her as well, and her brother Hayden. I did a ton, he needed it. He still needs it. Mm. Unbelievable ball striker. Ter- like he needs to move better. Mm. So it's sort of whether it's me or another coach working on it. Like I've done it a lot with a lot of athletes. I did a lot of footwork with Kim Birrell. Because they isolated, she didn't move well. Yeah, you know. Um, and you watch her. You know, she she's not the most explosive girl, but her movements actually quite good technically. It's because we did a fair bit of it when she was fourteen, fifteen, and young. Mm-hmm. Annalie Poulos, another girl I've been coaching you know, for the last three or four years. I coached her when she was nine years old, and I used to I used to do footwork and movement with her. And she's a a, a strong Samoan yep. Greek girl, and damn, she moves really well. Yeah. You know, and she's not a light, petite girl. She's a she's a strong woman. So yeah, I yeah, think it's important, man. For sure. I mean, you're laying such a good foundation, especially from that age, those formative years before um, they're just in their later teens. You're, you're just laying all the foundational movements that they need. They're going to set the tone for the rest of their playing career, which is super important. Can you like run us through a few different people that you've worked with? Let's just say like uh, the big guys like Millman, Duckworth, Kyrgios, how have you helped them? Do you have any interesting stories about the journeys you've been with them and what they were like? And yeah. Um, yeah, I guess what you kind of offered them in this space. Yeah, I mean the the one that everyone loves hearing about is Kyrgios. You know, and I was I was fortunate enough that I started working with Tennis Australia when I was in Canberra, and um, my first job was assistant coach to Todd Larkham, who created Todd uh, created Nick. And um, I mean, Todd was so, it was so cool to learn off him, but Working with Nick, um, they isolated Nick was very good at young. You know, I got him when he was 14. He was just sort of just getting out of that chubby phase. He's still a bit still a bit of baby fat there. Uh, but I, I had him and he grew 11 centimetres with me. Uh, I'm sorry, 18 centimetres with me in 18 months. It's like a centimetre a month. Holy moly. Yeah, man, grew a lot. Uh, and I've got, I've got footage of him training as well and you can see like the transformation. Um, and, and we did – I used to go over to his house and um, – because he's grown so fast, they were like, we need to invest a heap of time into Nick. And I'd go over to his house and I'd stretch him out. So we'd do two flexibility mobility sessions a week. And his mum would like cook me food. She's an amazing cook. She's so good. Um, 
Yeah. But so I got to spend a lot of time with Nick um, and I got to do footwork and movement on court with him and Todd, Todd was just so good to me, Todd Larkham. He taught me so much um, and he let me do my thing. Like I was a young coach. Like I know so much more now, like so much more now than I did then. But he let me on court. He let me work on footwork. He let me do the stuff in the gym and he was really, really supportive. Um, and Nick was was a really injury-prone kid when I first got there and by the end he was, he was a lot better. But I think this is probably my favourite story of Nick and it explains – it's, it explains why Nick is the way he is. And um, I wasn't actually working with him at the time. Um, he'd, I just passed him off onto the AAS and he just won the Australian Open Juniors. And he had a bit of a um, glenohumeral stress sort of flare up in his, in his arm. So he was back and he, wasn't, he was just starting to serve. So I, I took care of him on court and in the gym for a couple of weeks um, because Todd was away and the AAS athletes were all away. So I just took after, look after him. And we're on court and um, I was like, okay, you got, you know, 40 serves at 70%. You know, we're just going to work you back up. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, so what's next, man? Like, what do you, what do you want to win next? I was like, Wimby? Surely Junior Wimby's on your scope, mate. You love the grass. And he's like, turns to me, goes, what about French? And I was like, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, but, you know, you love the grass, you know, it's, you know. And he throws up a serve because we're just doing the serving. Throws up a serve. He'd, he'd only hit four or five serves and he knows he wasn't supposed to be hitting them hard. Throws up a serve and bangs a maybe 210 down the tee, like literally on the tee. And he turns to me and he goes, doesn't matter if it's clay or grass, who the F is going to get that back? <laughs> and I was just like, wow. It's, I mean, he's got a great point. And I was like yeah I mean too good but that, that's his mentality right he's like I don't care who they are I don't care what surface I'm on I, I'm i going to win like that is his competitive nature and I was just like damn and he honestly he he thrives on competition I remember playing table tennis with him and he's firing up he came and he was dating um, Tom Lenovich at the time and he came up to I was training her in Nottingham I was looking after her before Wimby and he came up um, came up to Nottingham because he wanted to see her and him and I got out on these little mini courts, these little mini tennis courts, and we started playing. We played like best of five, first at 11s or something. Started out, we'll just play. Nick's like, we'll play one set, one set, one, one first to 11. Yeah, we went best of five and people are coming on asking for signatures and he's like, oh, I just want to beat this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter what Nick does, he's super competitive. Um, but for all the things that people say about Nick, like Nick's always been respectful to me. Um, you know, he's always had time for me. Not when he's at home and when he sees you. It's pretty hard to get on the phone. Um, but he's always always been good to me. He's always been nice to me. Um, and I've had a few cracks at him over the years about some of the things he's done. He's never, never told me off. He's, you know, I've, Nick's a really good human underneath. And everyone's starting to see it now because he's starting to, you know, he went through a really bad patch there, um, which was really worrying, to be honest. Um but he is. He's a, he's a good human. And if he likes you, geez, he takes care of you. He's a good guy. Yeah. I've heard so many of those same stories. Yeah. Everyone who knows him well, just how he just really looks after you. He's loyal, respectful, and just wants the best. And also just how competitive he is. And that undeniable, like, no one's going to, what can you do against me? I'm the best. And I, you, you need that. You really need that mentality that who's going to stop me? Because yeah. if you don't have that, how are you supposed to beat the best players? Because you're always going to feel subconsciously like you can't do it. Yeah. And oh. uh, I think that's why he's always been the big time player because he just believes he always can. 
self-belief. It's got incredible self-belief. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so good. Um, what about what about Millman? Johnny. Great man. Jo- well, Johnny's Absolute gone Absolute worker. Wow. Johnny's a weapon. Um, but Johnny went through. So I started – so I, I moved up to Brisbane. So the AIS sort of split and I was in Canberra working in the state national academy, so to speak. Um, the AIS split to Melbourne and Brizzy and I got an opportunity to be a physical performance coach up at Brizzy. So I went up there and um, we started working with Johnny and Dirk Spitz was working with him at the time but I was running – he was writing all the programming and I was sort of looking after Johnny at times. Uh, Johnny was in a dark place at one stage when he, we got there and he had torn his labrum. And, and he had torn his labrum because he, he was at a challenger in Europe on wet, heavy clay and he had a bad service match. So he went and did 90 minutes of serving with wet Oof. balls and blew his labrum out, like the wow. back of his shoulder. So if yeah. people don't know, it's the connective tissue at the back of your shoulder where your external rotators sit in. Mm. Um, so we tried to rehab it, but then he had to have surgery. Uh, and that was, that was like nine or 10 months before he was playing. Um, and he nearly quit. And, you know, it was lucky he had, you know, some really good guys around him and we were all trying to let him know, you know, keep, keep working. He had Brent Larkham really in his corner. who's an amazing coach. And I learned a lot off Brent as well. He's great, great coach, tough man. I love it. Um, but I remember, I remember chatting to Johnny and, um, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, I wonder if I keep going, man. I've been doing rehab for the last three or four months. It's like, Johnny, just stick it out. Um, but one, this shows a lot about Johnny. I'll tell you two stories because they're both good. One, I was doing a fitness session pre-season and I had, I had some fit people there. I had like Duckworth, I had Kira Sandilands. Uh, who else did I have on there? I had Priscilla Hon, Kim Burrell, Lizette Cabrera. I, I, had some, I had some fit people. And we did this busting session and it was stair running followed by like an extended run, stair run, followed by a run. And it was repeat efforts, high-intensity repeat efforts, just like tennis. Anyways, we did this whole session and they were busted. Everyone was busted. And Johnny comes up to me and goes, I want to do another set. And I was like, what? We've done like three sets of 10 reps. Like it was exhausting. It, it was a tough session. I was like, this will get them. Johnny did a whole other 10 sets. I sat there no and I was, like, I was like, yeah, man, uh, 10 reps. I was like, yeah, man, okay, I'll stay here. Weapon, absolute weapon. And it wasn't, trust me, it wasn't easy. He, he just, I mean, his whole game, you know, is based on just being a brick wall and being a machine. But the other thing that, that Johnny brings is his cultural element. He has such amazing culture. He works hard. He does all the right things and he makes sure the people around him are accountable. And I remember it was Akira Sandilands was, was uh, I was training him and I had, I was doing testing. It was Monday morning. I was doing testing, but I, we never tested Archie on a Monday just because his personality didn't suit it and he often tested better on a Tuesday. So we were like, you know, working with him a bit. Anyways, I was testing all the girls and um, I came in, I yelled out into the gym because everyone was doing their, you know, their morning mobility. I said, yeah, we're doing testing. And Archie came up and he said, I'm not doing testing. I never do testing on Monday. No, they said, Dirk said, I'm not testing on Monday. And I'd said girls, like I didn't even say, like he wasn't listening. And Johnny turned around and he goes, Aki, if Heinze says you're doing testing, you're doing testing. So shut up and get in there and, you know, do your best. Like if, if Heinze says it, you do it. There was a few more profanities in there. But, <laughs> and Aki just shut up. And I was like, thank you, Johnny. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, however, Aki, I said, girls, you're, we're not, 
you're not doing testing, you're doing testing tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Um, but that was like, he'd do that regularly on court. If a player wasn't lifting, like I remember him going up to Ollie Anderson and going, you know, this is my career, this is how I make money and I'm out hitting with you, start putting in or, or piss off basically. I really wish more people did that. Oh, yeah. Well, no, we need, we need more people like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we Just, had, yeah, mate, we had the best hierarchy there when it came to that. Like at one stage in the National Academy up there, we had, oh, we had Chris O'Connell, we had um, Barton, we had Ben Mitchell, we had Duckworth, we had Millman, we had Kyrgios, we had Groth, we had Thompson. And then we had – so we had all those guys training for a preseason. And then we had Akira Sandilands, Ollie Anderson. Uh, and then on the girls' side we had Yamila Godisova, we had Isla Tomjanovic, we had Prehon, Lizette Cabrera, La Kimbiro, like mm. – but we had all these senior athletes and they're all working hard. And then we had all these awesome juniors coming through. And there was just this hierarchy of like the standards were getting set by the top ones and it was filtering down. And we had so much success. We transferred, we got maybe five or six into the top 100. Like so Grothy, Thompson, Millman, Duckworth, Tomjanovic. Like we, it was just, and it came from the top. Brent Larkin was just such a good leader. And Dirk Spitz, who was my mentor and head of strength and conditioning, who's back at Tennis Australia, um, just great leaders. That energy would have been electric. Talk, talk to me about that time. What was the energy like? What was the culture like? And um, did you feel that momentum at that time? Yeah. Oh, man, it was cool. You know, we'd go, we'd go and sit in a – go, Brent would be like, all right, everyone, we're going to get a round table. You know, all, everyone, physios, S&Cs, everyone, and we'd talk about every single athlete. We'd go through every single athlete and everyone got their say and nobody was too small to be heard. And so – and we'd just challenge each other. Chat like, like Dirk was my mentor, and I'd be challenging ideas, different things. Because if it was my sort of area, like he knew I was, he knew I was good at footwork and movement. And if I said, "Well, I, I kind of disagree. I think we need to do this, this, this," he'd be like, oh, "Okay." And then the coaches would be like, "Okay." And then, and then they'd delegate. They'd be like, "Okay, well, Heinzy, do you think you can fix their forehand?" And I said, "With the with the the foot position, hip position, all that stuff, you think?" And I said, "Yeah, man." And like, all right, Heinzy's going to get an hour a week with whatever, Blake Ellis. And we want him getting more physical on his forehand. So that allocate time for me to do that. That sounds like a really healthy environment to oh, so good. to just keep each other accountable but also have an open discussion that like you can challenge ideas and it's okay. I feel mm. like now in many spaces you cannot say yeah. that. Like you, people get offended or yeah. you can't put your two cents in. I can understand why there would have been so much more success in that time because of that. And has it changed now? And do you think that's a big reason why maybe – Things aren't, aren't growing as I'm, much. I'm not in that environment anymore. Um, but do, do you think in general though? Yeah. In just many spaces? Oh, yeah. Not just yeah, it's, uh, we're too politically correct. And, and I don't mean like being mean to anyone. I mean just like robust discussion about specific areas of whatever we're talking about, whether it's sports science, physical testing, forehand, a backhand, a serve, a return, footwork, movement, injury prevention. If you don't challenge each other, you're not going to get the best outcome for the athlete. And you got to think like it all comes down to the athlete. It's not about us. So if you've got an ego and you're offended because your exercise isn't working like, and someone else has got a better idea and you don't want to take it on, well, you're not high performance. You, you've got to constantly question how you do things, which is why I said I've been down so many rabbit holes because you know, 
I just challenge, you got to challenge the way you look at things. And I'm probably about you actually, probably should go back and look at everything and uh, analyze it. But you've, I just think, no, people don't like being challenged anymore. I love it when people challenge me. And the reason why I love it is because I've, I've done the work. Like I'll, if you've got, if you want to chat to me about certain part of footwork and you have an idea, um, I can validate every single one of my ideas because I challenge myself and I've had guys challenge me. Mm. I've been in the environment, which certainly helps, but yeah, it's important. I, I think if you challenge yourself, then when the challenges ultimately come to you, you feel ready for them mm. rather than shit hitting the fan when, yeah. if you haven't done the work and then you get all defensive about it because yeah. you haven't done the work. Well, yeah, but then the other thing too is like if someone who knows more about it, like from the physical side, let's say Dirk, when I was – underneath him and he said something and he and he validated it and I didn't know I'd be like yeah okay I was wrong mm. too good I won't be wrong about that again yeah because now I know <laughs> yeah but you gotta own it a lot of people yeah. are, are not comfortable owning their mistakes I hate like I made a mistake here my bad oh yeah yeah no I've made like I said before I've, I've made so many mistakes even building my business so many mistakes yeah I think you gotta yeah it's very important if you have a smooth road I don't know if you've done it right. <laughs> like, I feel like you've got to mess up heaps. Yeah. Um, what are yeah, some of those blunders that, oh. that, that you feel like have been a catalyst for growth for you after that? Yeah, look, so when I first started looking at team movement and building the website, I employed uh, external services from, from India um, and they just took me for a ride basically. They created this website and it was an okay website but it was impossible to use. I couldn't change it or I couldn't adapt it and I always had to go through them and then they started – and I was like, oh, no. Nah. And then someone put me onto an Aussie company who were close by and I got onto them and they're like, dude, this website's horrendous. I was like, great, there's somebody 10 grand down the drain. You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh. And you, you just go, we well, just got to own it. And that's how the other thing too is I own it. Like, you know, I messed up. I'm not going to do that again. But even from there, like, so my, I guess my journey with that was I was building the website, building the content. You know, I, I did all this content and I was like, no, this is rubbish. I'm getting a drone, you know, I'm getting, I'm going to go buy it. I'm going to invest in a good camera. Um, I'm going to invest in good sound because uh, I want my videos in 10 years to look just as kick-ass as they do now. Um, and I don't want to be like, because I went, I went and did my uh, like due diligence. I went and looked at all the people who had sort of tried to do what I'm doing in the past. And I look at their footage and various things now. And I know technology's moved, but I was like, that doesn't look very good. It's, um, and there could be amazing content, but people want to be entertained a bit now. It's really important now. It makes a yeah. massive difference. Oh, if, if the quality is rubbish, then people are like, nah, bored, let's go. Yeah, well, this, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And I was like, well, I want some credibility and I want it to last a long time, so I invested in that. Um, and then I created the website and then I was like, you know what, websites are starting to get old. People want to be on their phones. People want to access things straight away. And so now all, um, you know, my products, whether it's the, you know, injury prevention programs, it's the fitness programs, it's the footwork challenges, you know, um, and all my coach education, which is something I'm super passionate about, it's all on an app. So you can go and search tennis, footwork and fitness and you can download my app. And if you're passionate about learning about athletic development, you know, you want to be a better coach and, and prevent more injuries, develop better athletes, you can be on a flight over to wherever you are and you could have downloaded all my videos and you could be educating yourself. And it's just right there at your hands. And that's the modern day. You know, everything's got to be accessible, accessible. And so, again, that's another 
you know, another cost. I still have the website and the website's pretty cool. I love my website. Um, but I keep adapting, keep working to try and make things better. And even now I'm looking at the app and I'm like, I need to change the app. I need to make it easier to, to find things, to, to get access to things. And so it's, it's a lot of hard work. Honestly, it, and I'm sure you guys find it as well and, and many other people share my, my pain, I guess, is when you start your own business and you go out off on your own and you're developing your own thing and you're trying to you know, change the world, you're trying, to, you're trying to build something that's special, not too many people want to help you out. You know, and not, you know, it's, it's all on you, which I love and that's why I love tennis because when you play it's sort of all on you. But it's a ton of work and that's why some other people – who've mentioned it to me like, oh, are you worried about someone else, you know, releasing this? I'm like, nah. I was like, you wouldn't believe the man hours I've put into this business. If there's someone out there doing more man hours than me, then, you know, too good. They deserve to take they deserve to take over my business. And I'm still in like the early stages. Yeah, you're, you're speaking our language. Yeah. Um, this, is, um, this is something we talk about a lot um, with Dylan and Matt and Theo is just, there is so much work involved in, and we just feel like we're just right at the beginning with what we're doing in tennis and what we're doing in this media space. Um, but you gotta, you got to love it. you got to love the grind and you got to know that you're not going away. Mm. Like I love this and I, if I have to dedicate my life to 20 years, 30 years doing what I'm doing in this space nonstop for, the next, for, for that time, yeah. I'm okay with that. That's good time spent because what yeah. else am I going to do with my time, man? Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like we just love tennis, man. I just freaking love it. There's frothers out there. Yeah. <laughs> Me and you just absolute frothers for it. And uh, that's always going to win in the long run if you just don't stop. Yeah, oh, mate. It, I love tennis and I love footwork. I love movement and I love uh, the strength and conditioning. I, I've loved for a long a while, but I love tennis more. I love the fact that my strength and conditioning and all the training and the stuff that I can provide to the world will actually help people stay on court longer mm. or be fitter on court or perform better on court because ultimately I'm all about the end stage, which is the tennis because I just love tennis. And, I, you know, I love the community of tennis and I love, I love everything about it. Um, and, you know, I just get super passionate and I've got so much energy, man. Everyone, uh, if you yeah. chat to anyone, they're all like – It's oozing, man. It's going everywhere <laughs> now. I can feel it, bro. It's all over the table. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I just – yeah, I just love it. Yeah, to get back to some specifics, so mm. let's just say someone um, you took you touched on Kim Biru before, um, good mover, but maybe like a little bit maybe flat, not so elastic. Mm. I haven't seen her play very much, um, but let's just say someone is a good striker of the ball, but not so elastic and a little bit flat. How would you go about teaching someone in that way? Yeah, well, I mean, you got to so without getting too sciencey. Genetics plays a massive role, and you're only going to get so far. Um, and they've done research with that. For instance, you know, there's a reason why you know, all the sprinters are from you know, so African nations or or heritage from from Africa because one, they've got larger lever ang angles uh, when they're running, but they have more fast twitch muscles. Now, if you look at it from a cellular level, if you go, this is going to go deep, but when you go from a cellular level, there's nerve endings that go into every cell. And you just think of them like electricity. So if I've got two electric currents going into this cell, I'll get, when I send, you know, the same amount through each one, I'll get a contraction. Now, people who have slow twitch just have less nerve endings at a cellular level. So people who are more explosive will have more. So they get more of an electric charge so they can contract more rapidly. It's like a simplistic way of sort of looking at it at a cellular level. 
So you can't change that. You know, you can maximize that. Um, and the way to do that goes through um, building their strength capacity. Building strength capacity is going to fix a lot of different things. Um, and then you can work on plyometrics, training the connective tissue to be more um, – it's more elastic but it reacts faster, um, and it, which What's makes it? it this stiffness. It does – it's sort of contrary. It's like it's stiff, strong, but can go through range as well. Now that seems like a strange concept, but if you think of your Achilles tendon, you want it to be really quite strong and robust, really thick connective sort of tissue that's really strong because you don't want it to blow. Mm. But you want it to be able to lengthen and then snap back really fast. Right? And that's like when you get your running, when you land, you're lengthening out the connective tissue. And then when you drive off, you're snapping through, contracting it. And that connective tissue connects with your muscles and all your joints. Our whole body's connective tissue. No, it's like connective tissue is like the thing that makes us move. It's not necessarily the muscles. Is that tapping into fascia in some way? That's what, yeah, fascia yeah. is connective tissue. It's the, fascia is the stuff that wraps around. Because that's only been in recent times that people are starting to really dive into the fascia and mm. how that affects the body and the muscles because mm. we've been just looking at it from just so much more of a muscular lens. But now that view is expanding. Mm. Has, that, has that been something that's changed in the last few years? And, and how would you describe the fascia and what people need to do to really, um, I guess, get that expansiveness and then also the snapping that you're talking about. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's been known for a while. It's just not highlighted. And a lot of strength coaches just love lifting. Just love lifting. And don't get me wrong, strength is king. Like doing strength work strengthens your connective tissue, strengthens your fascia, strengthens all those elements. So you've got you to be able to, you know, sprinters lift heavy weights. But they also do heavy ply they do plyometrics, which is basically training that reactiveness. Um, and it is important. But it, it so when you look at it from an age perspective, it becomes quite complex. So there's a theory saying that you should do plyometrics or low-grade plyometrics, like skipping, for instance, before a kid gets to um, their pubescent years. And they say if you can catch it in that window, you'll you'll um I guess you'll get more of that. Activate it in some way. Yeah, it's, there's probably not enough research done on it because you can't research. It's pretty hard to research really young kids, mm. right? But there's a theory that says if you do those sorts of exercises like skipping and jumping and all these and repeat jumps and all these things that you're going to actually build a more explosive athlete when it comes to plyometrics and that what we call reactive strength. Um, but if you miss that window, it's really, really hard to change after they go through puberty, um, which to be honest would make sense for me because I was a – I was a whipper skipper when I was a kid. I did tons of skipping and one of my best attributes is I'm really fast and explosive. Mm. Like when we tested at the National Academy, I, I was the most explosive of all the athletes. Um, would have been nice to be a hell of a lot taller and all those other things, but I guess I'll take what I can get. Um, but, yeah, so training that – sorry, the one thing that I haven't mentioned with that, like you do the strength work, plyometrics is good, um, speed work, training speed work and training acceleration – and I talk about this in the presentation I'm doing with Tennis Australia, acceleration work actually trains the connective tissue to be more rapid. Whilst you're training a technique, you're actually training, you know, all the connective tissue to interact and react really rapidly, um, which I, I think is awesome. You don't necessarily accelerate the same on a tennis court. Like we move in big steps on a tennis court. Whilst acceleration is about short, fast steps, that's why they get bigger and bigger. Like you look at a sprinter, right? 
we don't move like sprinters, but I do train acceleration because I see a crossover when I train acceleration, I see my athletes becoming more explosive. Um, and then training, change your direction, rapid change your direction, speed, agility work. So that's how, I, that's how I sort of look at it. If you want to get someone more explosive, they need to build their strength capacity. You need to, but you, you need to train some, some form of plyometrics. You can't train young kids heavy plyometrics. They don't have the strength yet. Their connective tissue doesn't have the robustness that comes from strength training. But you can do low-grade plyometrics, jumping, hopping, all these sorts of things. True plyometrics is like super rapid, high high intensity, low time on the low time on the ground, maximal time in the air. Uh, but there's a spectrum of plyometrics in how I sort of look at it. And then the speed and agility linking all. If you do all those three things, you're going to get you're going to get far more far more reactive on court. That's for sure. And and it does come down to muscle and fascia and connective tissue. Yeah, well, there's so many bases to cover. Yeah. Yeah, and so how would you structure that in a week? Let's just say we've got a full-time athlete mm-hmm. and, yeah, they're, they're training plenty of hours on court. They're practicing their movement and their footwork patterns. How much time are they spending on plyometrics? How much time are they spending on, on strength? Mm-hmm. First and foremost, and this needs to be across the board, if you train with decent intensity on court, you're training plyometrics. Kids don't train hard enough. Like get out there and stay on your toes. So, I mean, every coach says it and I know it's like it's bane, the bane of you know, existence with young athletes. Train with good intensity. That's the first and foremost things. Be energetic. Be active. Move a lot on the tennis court. Don't just stand there and hit. So if you train with good intensity, you're going to improve for one. Okay, that's just something I want to address early on. You're because, speaking our language. Uh, yeah, like that, you're, you're going to get way better just doing that because if you think about it, you train tennis far more than you train anything else. So if you train with that sort of mentality and that sort of physicality, you're going to get more explosive. It's just going to happen. But if we look at the other stuff to try and bulk it up because you can only move as well as your body will allow you. Uh, I like to do... Depends on the athlete. Depends on the athlete. Depends on their genetics. Depends on their training schedule. But at least two strength a week. Sometimes three if they don't have tournaments on the weekend, depending. Um, and that is a combination of fundamental movements, strength, lower body strength, um, muscular endurance, glute, hips, core, and shoulders, thoracic, scap, all those areas, uh, and plenty of core work. So that would be in the strength. I do uh, body management at least three times a week, well, at least yeah, two to three times a week, which is injury prevention. Injury prevention is the major thing for a tennis player. Time on court, keep them on court. Injury prevention's huge. Like in Europe, they don't do a hell of a lot of strength. They do a ton of injury prevention, not a lot of strength. We do way more over here. Um, and then I go speed agility twice a week. And if they're capable of doing plyometrics, twice a week if I can, once minimum. And it would go body management Monday, Wednesday, Friday, strength Tuesday, Thursday, speed agility. Well, I'll do plyos on the first day, probably Monday, speed agility on the same day as I do body management. And I'll do it as an extension of my warm-up into a session. Yeah, this just highlights that we're not doing enough and a lot of athletes are nowhere near that no. sort of work. Um, to tap into, I guess, an in-session, let's just say – um, we're running tennis programs, how would you incorporate fitness elements or some movement elements into some hitting sessions? 
yeah to kind of break it up to also just like work on some of this stuff if you don't have access to actually do this stuff all the time or don't have a dedicated movement uh, footwork coach uh so when you talk about fitness you can certainly there's so many ways you can implement fitness even in squads like we do squads where we do a bit of performance under fatigue yeah. and you do shuttle runs so using the court as the lines you can do the shuttle runs right so double sideline to double sideline just hit every line and back and you might do a set of eight and go back to consistency drills and then come back and then do it again and then back to consistency drills and then again you know and and then you start you start actually building some capacity on court. But again, if you work hard on court, you don't have to do too much fitness. I'm telling you now, someone like Jordan Thompson, super fit, yeah. super fit. Like, you know, if it's not 15, a preseason. 15's in the beep test, yeah. Boobras told us about. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, weapon, really fit. He'd run, one of the preseasons, he was running sub 18s, 5Ks. It's like 17 and a half. It was like, it was rapid. It was quick. Anyways. But he doesn't go for long runs during season. But he trains hard and trains long. So he's fit. But again, he's a senior athlete and he used to do a lot of running when he was young and he built a good base. So I would incorporate some running. I personally don't use a lot of long distance running because it wears away at the body. But I mean, it's awesome for the mind. I do love it. Like if you're going to do it, do it on grass just so you don't jolt the young body. I like repeat efforts. I like, I like doing high intensity repeat efforts, which is more linked to the energy system, which is anaerobic endurance. And that's what tennis is, is anaerobic endurance. And I know that doesn't seem to make sense because endurance is aerobic, but the endurance element is the fact that you're doing it repetitively for a long period. So you build out, you build up this in uh, a capacity to do repeat efforts for a long period of time, mm. which is tennis, right? You know, you play for four to eight seconds, then you have 20 seconds off. You go again, you go again, you go again. But I always train above what you're required. So you can certainly build capacity from implementing it that way. Um, when it comes to footwork and movement, kids can go and do shadows. Yeah. You don't need a ball. That's a great idea. You don't need a ball. You can go and do shadow swings. I do a heap of it. I call it six track where you go like two deep shots, two wide shots, two short shots. And then I'll mix it up like, well, you can only hit forehands the whole time. But you've got to run to those six positions. So you're trying to run around at your backhand to hit a really deep forehand, which they do on the dirt. You know, guys will run right back to that bottom, that back corner, fizz a forehand up into their backhand. So shadow swings are great. And I've done a ton of fitness. Um, I've got some good footage of someone like Olivia Gadecki doing a lot of that. Because again, you know, Liv's you know, a big, strong girl. Great serve, unbelievable ball striker, but she needs to move on. So I used to do a lot of uh, footwork and movement as a fitness. So I talk about repeat efforts. Well, I often do repeat efforts, but I'll get them to do tennis-specific movement. And if I think a certain part of their game needs movement, you know, to build certain movement, let's say it is a run around forehand or let's say it's, they don't defend deep balls well, then that's their fitness. Okay, we're going to do a V drill where you're going deep forehand, deep backhand, deep forehand, deep backhand. With as much intensity as you can, but we're on a foot, we're on a field. You know, you put out four cones and you call out different colours and they have to swing over the cones. It's in a square. And I've got some good footage of Kim, Lazette, and Pre doing that actually over in Germany. Just out on a out on a on a footy field. Like there's there's tons of ways. There's something that I am a big believer in though. I think the athlete needs to go and do the fitness themselves. Yeah, big believer of that. Yeah, I, that's I, spot on. 
Are there any bang for your buck exercises that you just think as fundamental movement movements or maybe some sort of stretching or just anything in general that you would say are a must? Yeah, but there's so many. But because uh, I just just let this rattle out. Just, just I'm going to go maybe like three or four. I'm going to give you this is some good insight because this guy who I'm about to share the seven fundamental movement patterns. Yeah. Right for athleticism, and this was designed by just the godfather of athleticism, like Kelvin Giles. Guys, the guru. So our body, and you can combine all these exercises, but these are the fundamentals. So lunge, squat, hinge, which is like an arabesque, you know, when you land and you serve. Push, pull, brace, which is core, sort of rotation, and jump, and more importantly, land. They're your seven fundamentals. So I mix those fundamentals into my physical warm-ups, right? my dynamic warm-ups. Athletes at a young age build them and make sure they can do them in every direction, at every speed, you know, with hands overhead while catching a ball, like all those fundamentals. I get them to do all of those fundamentals and I just slowly build up the complexity or the speed of, of, of the exercises and then I'll add resistance at the end. But if you can build those fundamentals of those patterns, you're going to build an athlete. Now, I know there's so many others like throwing, running, like this change direction, agility. There's all those things. But that is just if you go and research fun, the seven fundamental movement patterns, you'll be able to create a better athlete in any sport, any sport. So if I had to pick one, that's probably what I'd pick. Mm, yeah, that's that's elite. So, yeah, so many of those need to be in the warm-ups, in the dynamic warm-ups, and then, like you said, just completely just expanded on through different games that you can play and then resistance at the end that's um yeah that's really good stuff how does the mind tap the how does the mind really go into your training like what, what do you focus on anything in terms of mentality mindset um because it's all it's all interrelated it's all connected how do you go about putting and embedding that into your physical training and how you go about teaching footwork and movement with anything that i do whether it's gym footwork or on court i set standards uh, and you have to adhere to those standards. Now, there'll be times where, um, you know, if something's happened to you or something's bad, but, you know, whether you can leave what, a little bit, you know, you, you, their grandmother's died or something. But, like, I set standards, and if you don't meet my standards, that's fine. You don't have to work with me. Like, that's fine. If I set these standards because I care about your development and making you the best tennis player that, that I can, and you need to adhere to the standards that I set because I've seen these standards work. And I know they work. And if you adhere to these standards, I can assure you you're going to improve. So that's basically how I sell it. And that creates culture. So when you, for instance, when you walk into my gym, there's a culture there and everyone knows. Everyone knows I go in, I get my program and I get into my program. I don't chat with my friend. I don't go and jump on a piece of equipment I'm not supposed to. I don't mess around. I go in, I get my program or I say, hi, Heinze, grab my program and I get stuck into it. And I get it done and then I get out. It is a performance environment. And so I create that culture and same when we walk on court. We walk on court and I'm like, have you done your warm-up? And they'll be like, no. I'm like, do your warm-up. I'm not starting until you're done. All my athletes for all my private lessons, they get there 10 minutes early, do their physical warm-up. They walk on court warm. There's no pushing the ball around or light movement. We, they're warm. They do a full physical warm-up. I just set those standards. Cultures built off standards and reinforcing good behaviors. And 
if you don't do that, people think they can get away with things and then it spreads on court. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, you have to set those standards and kids want to get get away with murder. But if you start setting those standards, they start falling in love with the work and they mm. fall in love with the progress that they're making and how good they feel and how strong they feel and how good their tennis is going. Yeah. But it takes some work and you've got to stay strong with those standards. How long did it take you to start building that? Let's just say when you start building um, team movement and you were working at KDV, you started setting those standards. Was there that initial period at the start that was quite challenging and then from there it started to become a lot smoother? Uh, not so much at KDV. Um, I guess people had heard about the way I operate, you know, and I'd learned a lot off, especially Dirk and Brent. They set high standards. Um, but I set it. I set it right from the start. There is no leeway. As soon as you meet me and you're going to work with me, I I let you know the standards. And if you break them once, I'm reasonably nice about it. You know, I go, mate, look, that's not the standards. That's not what we're here to. You got to be better than that, man. Um, they break it again. You know, I'm hard on them. In that aspect, especially in the gym, I'm really hard because it's a safety thing as well. And I've kicked guys out of the gym. I'm no problem kicking out of the gym. Or if they've done something wrong, I, I bring it back to culture. I'm like, you're going to vacuum the gym. You're going to make the environment better for everyone else. If you want to ruin it in the gym right now while everyone else is training, you want to ruin that environment, you're going to make it better later on. So you're going to come back and you're going to vacuum the gym or you're going to clean the weights. Or like, for instance, another one, when I talk about stands, like uh, I think it was Kim or Pre and Lizette, one of, two of those girls were having a hit. Uh, it was at the Brisbane International and they were going out to hit with a pro and they didn't do their warm-up. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, like, you represent yourself, you represent our academy and that's how you want to behave. And you want to be elite, you're hitting with elite girls. So I went and spoke to them because it was at the Brisbane International. So they had the red ball of like kids thing out the back to promote the sport. I said, you're going out there for an hour and you're going to help those, help the people out there doing that Red Bull. I said, you're going to be out in the sun for an hour helping them out. So go do what I've already told them. I'm going to ask them how well you did after. And so they went so out. Elite. And then they uh, they loved it though, <laughs> you know. So then I asked them, I said, how'd you go? And they said, oh, no, it was really fun. And I was kind of like, I'm not going to have a go at you. That's good. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, get girls, come on. You there's, gotta be- a le- there's a lesson there though. Yeah, I try to make it a lesson. Like it's, it's easy to yell at kids. Don't get me wrong. And I'm. I've got a pretty loud voice. You know, you can hear me from five courts away if, if you need to. Like I've done plenty of squad work. I can, I can be loud and I've ripped through quite a few people. Um, but you do, you need to, you need to break down and then rebuild. That's how I sort of look at it. You need to break down a behavior and then reinforce a quality behavior. And it takes time. And some people just don't want to do it. And that's fine. Yeah. Get them out of your academy or get it's, them out of your environment. They'll ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, the door's there and it's all open arms, all good. Thanks for the time. Mm. You do you, but yeah. uh, this is what we're about. And yeah. if you're not a part of that, then that's okay. But we're going to do our thing over here. And often that's the the kick in the butt they need. And then they'll be like, no, I'm, no, I'm really sorry. I'll, you know, and I'll say, well, okay, let's write some standard down. I want you to write down your standards and you're going to sign it. And if you don't adhere to the standards, you're letting yourself down as much as us. I just love what I'm hearing and we need so much more of this. I just feel like so many academies or so many just environments in any sport, it doesn't matter what it is, are not having this culture and not setting standards. And I think it's a big problem why so many kids are struggling growing up. They're so soft, 
so addicted to technology and they're just waiting and needing this voice and we're needing leaders to really stand up and set these standards to be great and kids want to be told and once they're told they're like almost like craving it Mm. so important yeah well they see the benefits generally they see the benefits too i started beating this other person yeah yeah you're working hard good well done let's keep working hard. <laughs> like, let's keep working. This is great. And I've had athletes like that who yeah. have been, you know, who have accelerated really quickly, purely off attitude. I probably could have been the worst coach ever, but their attitude and their belief in what they were doing was there. They just improved. So, Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so important. And if anyone's listening, this, what we just spoke about, for any coach or environment to create an elite environment that what you just spoke about I think is crucial. Yeah. It's really, really important stuff. And something that you you need to know too, like there's often a concern we'll lose money. But trust me, if you adhere to those standards, you may lose a few and you'll lose short-term money. But in the long term, everyone will hear about how amazing your academy is and they'll all want to come there. So you're not going to lose money. Don't be scared to lose those athletes because they're not coming in. I understand everyone needs to make money and look after themselves and their families, but you, in the long run, you'll get that reputation. Yeah, that reputation will be built and you don't want to be stuck in that fear and that almost scarcity mindset like, oh, I don't have enough. But no, in the long run, like you said, it, it brings back tenfold. Yeah. 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 So I, I want to talk about how you built the online portals, online program. That's yeah. something that I find fascinating. It's been a big addition to many kind of fitness programs or across many different fields where you have a subscription, you pay, you get the videos. How did you build yours and is it like that? Is it a subscription model and what have you done to actually get it to where it is today? Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just at, I'm sort of past the early stages, but I'm close to middle stages. So I've got ambitions to create even more but to start with um i looked at the membership model and i looked at you know i want to for instance coach education there's two elements to my business physical training for athletes and whether that's injury prevention fitness athletic development gym work um footwork analysis or footwork challenges so there's the physical side for all the athletes or tennis players and the other side's coach education so i actually want to one of my massive passions, uh, like passions is to improve tennis coaches. And we play such a pivotal role being a tennis coach and I'd love to just enhance tennis coaches' knowledge in athlete development so that they can prevent injury, make better athletes because there's just not enough trainers around. But anyways, I looked at the prescription model to that and I was like, okay, so what would I have to do each week to deliver that? And I was like, it's, I mean, it's, it's a great model, but it just hasn't been something that I've been able to implement yet. But looking at the subscription model, I really want to create, I've created an athlete development course that you can do and it'll improve all the areas of athleticism in a tennis player. But as an extension of that, the future will be, you'll do the course, but every week you'll get, you know, you'll get to chat to me and there'll be a subscription over that period where you do pay each week. So it's more affordable for some people because it is quite a lot straight up and I get to engage with all the coaches, which is awesome. Uh, and the other one, I, I'm developing a footwork and movement um, education and I want that to be a prescription because it is thick. There's a lot of information in there and I want it to be something that coaches co- to commit to for 12 weeks and I want them to be able to get access to me. You know, they'll do a week, uh, you know, a module in a week and I want them to be able to access me and I want to be able to 
talk to them. And that could move into a um, subscription model as well. But currently, it's all just uh, a fee for service. So you pay. Like a one-time fee. One-time fee. You pay for the programs um, and I'm selling a lot of them in bulk. So for like the injury prevention, for instance, you'll get three programs. Mm. So you'll get, and they run off each other. So you'll do the first one, the body management one. You'll do that for four to six months. And then you'll be able to transition onto the next one and then transition onto the next one. But you'll pay for them all at once. Mm. Now it becomes, when you start paying one for one, it becomes a, like it's a lot of work for your web builders or for your app builder. Um, it's It gets pretty complicated, costs more money. Um, and it's something that you got to nut out. So I haven't discovered it yet. You know what I mean? Like I've only, uh, I've had my app going for four months now. I've had about 150 downloads, which is cool. So I hope, hopefully I get a lot more. I love people to get access. There's free, there's actually free training on there, free information. But um, yeah, that's something you got to nut out when you have a business. You know, what sort of model do you want? Uh, and my wife has a subscription model for her. She's a, a very good illustrator. She does illustrations for like Christian Dior and all these amazing things. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, she's a gun. And she has like a, a course which is a subscription and she loves subscription. She's been trying to get me into it. I just don't know how it fits. But, yeah, I've gone, you just pay for the programs and you get access to them. And I don't know if it's the busier lifestyles now or people want things straight away. But again, I've got to figure it out, man. I've got to challenge what I'm doing and find out if it's the right thing. Is it that you, with a subscription model, you feel like you have to commit each week and have that con- kind of almost constant touch point with people who buy? Oh, no, I'd love that. I love chatting okay. with people. So it's, yeah, I mean, I'd love to do it. The, the problem is it's something that can be in the future because I need to build this business. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in the early stages, like I still work full time. You know, um, when I was building team movement, I was working at KDV and I was coaching 35, 40-hour weeks plus managing their gym, yep. plus managing the whole strength and Just all the admin and just everything yeah. outside of that, which is endless. I was doing, yeah, 60, 70-hour weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so much fun. Not surprising, but yeah, if, <laughs> if, you, if you love it and you just want to get stuck in, you can yeah. absolutely do that and, yeah. and not get burnt out. No, I mean, I've just got a ton of energy too. Um, like if you ever get on court with me, I'm – well, I've got a lot of energy generally, which is why I could coach such high loads like on court and in the gym. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the, the business model that I've gone with um, is is you buy the programs and you get access to them. And like I said, I went from one website onto the an, an whole new website um, onto a company where I have actually built the app on their system like a WordPress where you can build a, build a website. They have this thing. It's called Passion.io. And I built a, uh, an app and put all my programs onto the app because I felt like that's the that's the new world, right? Everyone wants it at, the, at their fingertips. They want it on it on their phones. Um, and I'll be honest with you, like my strong point is coaching athletes, creating content, and I have to challenge myself to be a better salesman and I have to challenge myself to do better marketing. So I'm doing like for instance in July I'm doing a course with Kerr and Ray, three-day immersion where yeah. I just go in. He's a gun. He's one of the biggest and best in Australia. Yeah. he's Yeah. And, you know, I have to invest in myself mm. just like a player has to invest in themselves with good rackets, strings, food, all those things. I'm investing in myself, learning more about marketing and sales and how to actually create those really good products and get it out there to people. Yeah. I, lo- I love everything you're talking about and your approach as well because it needs to be, 
you need to challenge yourself to grow in different areas. Otherwise, you won't be able to get this information out mm. in the way you want to and you're going to hit this roadblock. So, no, yeah. I, I really appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. And has there been people who've bought your programs, for example, and you've actually tracked and had co- communication with them? Yeah. So they bought your programs and they've done it and they've been almost like communicating with you online. You've seen their progress through the online world. Yeah. Yeah. So my app has a community page. So okay. if you go, let's say you do the coach education course, you go onto a little community page where I can communicate with you and you can communicate with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've had athletes get the injury prevention programs. It's only been going, the app's only been going for four months, yeah. five months, but I've had uh, previously through the website, yeah, I've had quite a few people do the injury prevention and send me like Instagram messages saying, man, I've, my wrist is good now. Like I'm feeling better. I'm actually feeling like I'm serving faster. Like, it, and I've had it. The, the other thing too is I've just had it because a lot of these programs that are on my app that that are that I'm delivering to everyone, I've used with elite juniors, elite athletes. Now I've made it. So you could be doing a session that John Millman's done. It won't be as hard. Don't get me wrong. You can tailor make it to what how you're feeling and how much you can do that day. You know, it won't be a 90-minute fitness session. You could tailor make it to be a 45-minute fitness session, but you're doing the same exercises. So all the programs that I've got on there are, are relevant to the sport. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're – yeah. But like I said, I've got um, – yeah, I've certainly seen people grow and develop with all my programs, and that's the reason why I put them all onto the, on the app because I know they work. Without, without sounding too arrogant, like I know they work. Yeah. My injury prevention programs – work yeah. my athletes don't get injured backed by undeniable proof and when you have that yeah well it's yeah. just experience like i left katie i was at kdv for five years i wrote 300 for, i wrote for 300 people strength programs so that's not how many strength programs i wrote some of them i wrote 10 for over the time i was there i had 300 people i wrote strength programs for so when you start and that's not even counting my time at tennis australia like when you start seeing that many bodies and you, you can like chop and change, oh, this exercise isn't the best. You know what? This is the best exercise. And so that's what's the, all the exercises on my app and that I'm, I'm selling and getting out there, I've just culled through all the, the exercises that don't work that well and all the fitness sessions that I've been like, ah, that didn't work that well. And I've just, because I've just done the time of coaching and being at those sessions, I've just gone, these, even the speed agility, they're my favorite speed agility exercises that I've got my best outcomes from are all on, on this, are on my products. They're the, yeah, they're the, the best, best exercises and programs I've designed. And I want to share that with the world. You know, I want, I want everyone to be able to, I want everyone, this is, there's two elements to why I started my business. One is I want to take care of my family and spend time with my family. You know, I've got a young boy now, um, I don't, I don't want to be working 40-hour weeks, you know. Um, but the main reason is I just want to help as many tennis players as I can stay on court, play tennis, and regardless of your level, like I just want you to be able to enjoy tennis and, and be able to enjoy it for a long period of time. Because when you chat to a tennis player and they're like, you know, have you been playing much? It, they never say, oh, you know, it's rare that they say, oh, no, I just didn't, I stopped enjoying it. Oh, no, my shoulder's a little bit tired. Oh, my wrist is sore. I'm like, dude, you can prevent that. You can prevent that. So I'm super passionate about like just ensuring people are enjoying the sport. And I'm really, really passionate about helping coaches, you know, help their athletes as well. I, I look at it like a ripple effect, you know. 
Like I can only help so many people. I can only coach so many people because I only have so much time. But let's say I, I develop, I, you, you know, you do my course on athlete development. You know, you're going to hit hundreds of athletes in your coaching career. You're going to prove all those athletes. Those athletes might go on to help other athletes. You know, and if I can do that for hundreds of coaches, can you imagine like I'm actually helping thousands of athletes enjoy tennis or thousands of people enjoy tennis more, be less pain, perform better, be better athletes. Like for me, that is so rewarding that I can help so many people <laughs> um, through all these amazing coaches. You know, like that's, I, I get real passionate about no, it. But I'll, I'll you're speaking it. to a fellow um, passionate person. Yeah. But yeah, that, that ripple that you're talking about, this is actually how you change the world yeah. in your small way. I mean, you can only have influence on the circle that you have influence in, but then that ripples out and then that ripples out again. And then from there you yeah. can actually make substantial change because people don't even try because they feel like I want to make massive change in the world, but they get so almost almost burdened that they don't have any influence. But you have more influence than what you know, especially in this digital world when you can actually reach so many more people. So yeah, the, the, there is something very powerful about that ripple. And if we can just literally have the most effect on our immediate circle, that it's, it's, it's got to start there. But you shouldn't underestimate how far that can actually go. Yeah, I'll look, yeah I, have, I have big ambitions, man. I want to be like I want to help as many people as I can. But, you know, I want to be regarded as the best footwork coach in the world. I mean, I love it. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> like, love I'm someone like, well, that is, why, is willing to say that. And yeah. I love the why not. Yeah, why not? But, why not? No, I, I feel like I've done the work, man. And like there's all these things that have contributed to me becoming very knowledgeable in the area. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been coaching tennis since I was like 14. I ran my own club at 17. At university, I studied sports science and I did everything on tennis. I then did an honours in reactive agility in tennis. So I actually just went, that's a rabbit hole down <laughs> what actually is agility what's reactive agility what's change of direction what's excel all these things i had to go into depth with it and then i went and worked with all like all some of the best coaches in the world the best snc's in the world fitness coaches best physios like i've just had this i've just been super lucky that things have just worked out for me that i've accumulated all this knowledge and i've just sponged off a lot of like i've just sucked in a lot of people's knowledge and and now i'm like you know what i'm I, I know a fair bit. I feel like my knowledge is worth something and I have the passion to help people. So, man, why don't I just combine it all? Yeah. It's unreal. So you said about I want to be the best footwork movement coach in the I world. am. <laughs> 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 I have, uh, to be honest, I've said that to a few people. I was like, no, I think I am. Um, but I don't know everyone. And then I get to see some amazing footwork coaches Gabe, um, I think it's Gramilio in the US. Man, he's a great footwork coach. Uh, I, th I think the other thing too is like I, I do want to be one of the most recognized and well-known. So I, so that means I'm helping a lot of people and I'm developing a lot of coaches, which is making better tennis players. But also there's, yeah, like there's so many tennis coaches who do footwork awesome. But I want to validate to them like this is the reason why you do it so well. The body actually works like this. Yeah. Actually and then having like almost the science behind it. Yeah. Like, and then I'm like, dude, you're a great footwork coach, but I want to let you know and just reinforce why you are, because this is how the body functions. You know, this is how, this is how to be most efficient. This is how to, you know, decelerate and accelerate in the best uh, form and best position. I'm like, but dude, you're already doing that. 
you're an awesome footwork coach. Sure, I want to be recognized, but I want everyone else to be awesome at doing it as well. What are the steps for you to get to that point? Oh, yeah. There's, I need to build my social media platform and it's uh, and I need, I need to – like I've got an eight-month-old kid. I work full-time and I'm doing this as well. And I work with – I also work with Squash Australia as their strength conditioning coach for their elite athletes and I run their state program. Like I do a lot. But I need to keep sharing knowledge via social media and build my social media presence so everyone knows, oh, if you want to look up footwork or you want to get less injuries or you want to be faster or all these things, Alex Hines is the man to go to. So first and foremost, I need to build my following, um, which is why it's awesome that you guys asked me and got me along. And I love, I just love chewing the fat. Um, So I need to build that. Uh, I need to build my SEO, build my website so everyone knows where to go. Um, I need to make sure my app is streamlined so when you get on my app, you can get my program straight away. Because at the moment, it just I, I, don't, I think it would be more it'd efficient. Be clunky. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be cleaner. Mm. Yeah, You've got to always try and be better at what you're doing, right? And I, I definitely think I can be better in that area. Um, and then I need to keep working on my footwork and education course. So my athlete development course for tennis coaches, I, I love it. I, I'm really passionate about it. I love what I've delivered. But the footwork and movement – I just it I just know in my heart that when I share it, it's gonna be different to, to what anyone's ever seen. Because I coach it different. Like a lot of footwork coaches coach maneuvers. I coach concepts. Like and it's and it's and it's in a logical understanding, like it's clear. But I can back it all up by how the body works, how the tactics of the tennis work, like everything it's I've just looked into it so hard, as hard as I possibly could, and I've tried to figure out every certain scenario and every single thing. And I've even I've been lucky enough to be around awesome coaches. I'll ask them about tactics. I'll ask them about positioning. And I've learned so much about how the body functions no matter, you know, and, and movement's different for John Isner to Schwartzman. Like everything's different. Mm-hmm. I've looked into all that stuff. But the these concepts that I'm coaching, it's like you shouldn't coach maneuvers. Like, for instance, if you look at like hip drive, like hip rotation, right? We all agree you need to use your hips when you strike the ball. Hip drive is relevant for every single stance you do, right? It's just the, the speed at which you do it, the height at which you do it changes. But if you understand that concept of hip drive, right, the speed variations, the height variations, it's relevant for every single shot you do. You don't have to teach like a, a Mongol or something. You teach them how to set up and drive their hips around and finish with width. It's not a maneuver. The other thing is it's when you teach someone a concept, so this is like a skill acquisition. When you teach someone a concept, they're far more likely to withhold that information. So it's like when you go for a test, right, and you like try to memorize everything, you'll do the test and afterwards you're like, I don't remember any of that. But if you understand the concept, one, you'll do better at the test and you'll retain that information. So it's it's proven like, and I had to study that at uni. So I teach a lot of concepts and it makes it relevant for so many different situations. So hip drive is relevant in defense, offense, like as long as you understand the variations of the concept. It's like spin, right? If you understand that we we don't always go and you're not on court thinking about, okay, I need to get under and over the ball here because I'm in defense. Like it happens automatically because you understand the concept and you'll teach them those concepts. If you want to hit a, you know, you've got a higher, shorter ball, you hit through and over it more. If you've got a lower ball, you get up and under the ball more. Like so you, but it's the concept of spin, which is relevant to you. And when you understand the concept of spin, 
you'll know when you're closer to the net, I need more spin. Like, and it's low. Like all these things, that's a concept that you can adapt. The concepts that I teach in footwork are similar. And so once you teach a kid and they understand the concept, they don't have to think about it on court. You can't think about all the manoeuvres on court when you're playing. Yeah, no chance. You're just thinking about the tactics and com- competing. You shouldn't have to think too much. And so this, this cycle of movement that I've designed that's repetitive um, is based off, yes, technical elements, but it's not telling them to do manoeuvres. It's making sure they retain the information so they can use it on court without having to think. Mm. And for me, that's like if you read The Inner Game of Tennis, that's what yeah, it's all about. That book. It's, it's a great book. book. It's a must-read for anyone yeah. to yeah, take into the psychology It's like from the 70s and it's still relevant yeah. in the modern yeah. day. But, yeah, so that's that. That's why I know when I develop this, this it's coach, it'll be coach education for footwork and movement. It's just going to it's going to blow people's minds and it's going to validate a lot of good coaches why they do it. And I just, I really, I can't wait to get it out there. I just need, I need to not have to sleep, you know. <laughs> like when you, when you have a, a young child, too, it just goes to a whole nother level. So, yeah, man, I just, I honestly can't wait to get that education out there because I'm so passionate about it and I just, I just know it works. And I've just coached so many kids. I've coached a lot of people in that footwork and movement. I know it works. Where is the best place to reach you? Right. Instagram, website, other platforms. Where do people find you? Yeah. Uh, follow me on my social medias. So on Facebook, it's T Movement. So it's T, then a middle dash movement. My Instagram is T Movement Tennis, full one word. Um, there's, uh, you can go to info at tmovement.com, send me an email. Um, but Instagram's good. You can go on Instagram. But the best one you can do for me is to download my app because um, there's free training on there. I'd love you guys to do it. It's like my yeah, five favorite. We're definitely going to download it. I yeah. get that. And it's called Tennis Footwork and Fitness. And so don't look up Team Movement on my app. It's Tennis Footwork and Fitness. Um, yeah, I'd love I'd love everyone to to follow me. I'm on YouTube as well. There's some great stuff on YouTube under Team Movement. But, yeah, get on my website, get on my app, follow me on socials because the more you do that, the more people I'm going to help. Um, and I am really passionate about helping people. I love tennis. I want to help as many people as I can, but I can't do that unless I have a following. Yeah. Uh, and and for me, that's, yeah, that's what it's all about. And I get to interact with heaps more people. Yeah. I love people. I love chatting to people. That's why I'm a coach, you know, like I love talking. Alex, your passion is infectious. I feel inspired. I um, You got me thinking about my own personal coaching journey, what we do at ATA and what we're about, and there's so many parallels. And, uh, yeah, you've just got a really inspiring message, and I think so many people can take a lot away from this, and I hope people really feel inspired to do something for themselves in whatever capacity that is and what they're passionate about. But, um Absolutely love this conversation. I hope to have you back on again when there's some more concrete things to share yeah. um, further down the journey um, as we evolve and you evolve. Yeah. But I really do. appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Oh, man, I, I, I love these chats. Um, yeah. So thanks for having me and I really appreciate it. Our pleasure.